Hey, Scarlettos! Hey, Scarlet fans. We are back with episode eight of our podcast. We are going to be talking tonight about the Slender Man stabbing. You're, of course, here with me, Brittany Sherman, and I'm here with Sonia Mazzaleone. Hey, folks. I'm excited for this one. I am batting with a home field advantage here because this happened right down the street from where I live, and I didn't really start thinking about this until we, I was diving into this conver- or this topic. But man, some shit happens in Wisconsin. <laughs> like, wow! Yeah, you guys have a... Uh, you're probably, what, second to Florida, maybe? I- <laughs> yes. Yeah, you're still number one, I think. Yeah. But Only at- because we're able to publish. that. That's I promise there's crazy everywhere, but oh, in yes. Florida, since the laws that you... Any criminal, you know, mugshots, all of that's all public information, and the press loves it and goes crazy over it. But of course, yes, weird things happen in Florida. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I was thinking about, like, how... <laughs> I mean, I've got like a bevy of topics for us to talk about at some point, but I was thinking there are maybe five, six things that are like really close to where I was. Mm -hmm. So they're within a mile, maybe a mile and a half of where I grew up and where my parents currently live. There were two mass shootings. That one that was really highly publicized, I think back in like 2012, maybe. Wow. Um, There was... The church that I grew up going to when I was a child and the family that lived down the street from the first house that I lived in, there was a mother who tragically drowned her two sons and was a member of the same parish that we were. Who was that? Susan Smith? No, no, no. It wasn't Susan Smith. She drowned them in their bathtub. Oh, my I don't God. remember her name, unfortunately. Okay, we'll cover that one later. Yeah, yeah. We'll definitely come to that because that was really <laughs> tragic. Like, it actually drove the priest from our church to, like, need to retire and relocate because it was too much for him. He oh couldn't handle it. Oh, my God. Uh, there was, there's, of course, Jeffrey Dahmer from Milwaukee. Of course. Right next to where I live. Uh, then there was a... A kidnapping that happened, I think it was like the same week as Elizabeth Smart, but it never received the same kind of publicity, except it was on, it wasn't Unsolved Mysteries, it was that show that John Walsh used to host. I can't remember what it's called now. America's Most Wanted, I think. It was featured on that. Um, So that happened, and that's still a cold case. That girl was never found. And now, of course, here is Slender Man, which is in the same county and next town over from where I grew up. Crazy. So give us a little rundown. What's our what's our summary of this so we can kind of let everybody know what to expect from this episode. Also, give fair warning when it comes to the uh, severity of this crime. And, you know, we're going to be sharing some graphic information um, and we're going to be talking about um, the victim as well as the um, the defendants on in the case, the actual perpetrators. And they're all at the time of the um, crime were 12 years old. So 
understand we'll try to be sensitive to uh, speaking about them because they are children and certainly sensitive to all of their families um, because they're all, you know, going through their own challenges uh, when it comes to this case. It was a shock to everyone, certainly. And as always, we advise, listener discretion advised, because we will be getting into, into some violent conversations. And this is strictly our opinion and the evidence that is already out there. We are not introducing anything new or stating anything as fact. So a quick little summary on Slender Man. Uh, he is a fictional supernatural character that's really popular still among uh, preteens and adolescents. The crux of the story is that he is this thin, featureless man between 8 and 15 feet tall, and he stalks and abducts and traumatizes uh, children. Uh, he was invented as part of uh, just a fun little contest. But in 2014, in Waukesha, Wisconsin, two 12-year-old girls became consumed by the lore of Slender Man and believed that the only way to be safe from him was to kill their friend Peyton, or as they called her, Bella Leitner. Hmm. This is their story. Bum, bum. Bum, 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 bum. So, uh, interesting case. You know, it's, um, I think what I want to hear from you is a little bit of the background of the area. Since sure. This is your hometown. It is. It, it, like, it really is. And uh, it would be awesome. I mean, I feel like this is fairly recent. 2014, you know, the kids, I, I think I could definitely understand what a 12-year-old was going through in 2014 because it would likely be similar technology um, that we have today, mm -hmm. maybe a little more improved, but they were still surfing the internet, you know, and there was likely the same information out there, Facebook, social media. So these two were definitely um, influenced by um, any, a lot of the online material that they received about Slenderman. I think that was their main source of information about him. Yeah. So to, paint a little bit of a picture of where we're talking about, because I do know this area very well. Uh, I grew up in a town that's right in the middle of Milwaukee, Wisconsin and Waukesha, Wisconsin. And it's Waukesha County is the, the area that I grew up in. And of course, this is Waukesha, the city within Waukesha County. And it's a, a significant hybrid of a metropolitan area and a woodsy, forest, desolate, rural area. Hmm. Waukesha is a pretty large swath of land that in one area you are very close to the happenings, like the downtown areas, shopping, food. You're only maybe a 10-minute drive from Milwaukee, but you're also only a five minute drive from being pretty much completely cut off from society. Hmm. It's just, it's a lot of rural highways, uh, just a lot of open land houses that live far apart from each other. I don't know the specific area where these girls are from. I kind of got the, op uh, the opinion that they are from somewhere kind of on that border of the the city portion of it to the more country portion of it. Yeah, it looked like a subdivision where this park was located. Yes, exactly. So um, to your point about how they kind of got consumed, Slenderman is mostly just, it's an online fiction. There have been stories that have come out. There have been a couple movies made. But really at the time, and it originated on the website Creepypasta, as just a, a fun invention that was meant to 
garner a little attention and win an award for some guy to create this new creepy story that could be used to freak out kids and kind of become a new boogeyman. Do you think it was really to creep out kids or do you think it was targeted at a more adult audience and kids just became interested in it or was it really targeting kids? Well, okay. So that's a really good question. I'm not really sure what the original intent was, but when this person, uh, Eric Knudsen is his name, uh, submitted his story to the creepypasta website, he included with it two pictures. One picture was of kids playing on a playground and Slender Man hanging out in the trees behind, kind of creeping around a tree and watching the kids. I use watching lightly because Slender Man, as the story goes, has no facial features. There is no eyes, nose, mouth, and ears. It's just a blank canvas, more or less. And then he submitted another picture, which had Slender Man chasing after a bunch of kids crossing a bridge. Oh, got it. So, so there was depictions of, of him, visual depictions of him actually chasing children. and Yes. Somewhere another, they got this. Because what I thought was interesting about this case <clears throat> was that when the girls in question, um, and we'll talk about them in a little more detail, when they started um, becoming interested in Slender Man, they... It was a little confusing on from from my standpoint because a lot of what they talked about felt like that they were instructed by Slenderman or that they had gotten information that somehow, again, as you said, um, you know, that they went ahead with this plan to murder this little girl, i.e. Morgan's best friend, and um, because they needed to protect their own families from Slenderman. Like, they're... Did they get direct orders? Did they just, was there just an implication based on the information that was online? Um, you know, I think all of those things that we'll definitely talk about as we get a little bit further in the case, but let's start at the beginning, um, of this case, which is in 2014, um, May 31st. Um, so if we back it up a little bit, we've got, uh, two girls, Morgan Geyser and Anissa Weir. So Morgan Geyser had known, t- uh, uh, Peyton Lautner for quite a number of years. I think it's um, Leitner. Leitner? Yes. Like Christian? Leitner. Leitner? That's Christian Leitner. And this is Leitner? Peyton Leitner. Leitner, got it. Um, so it sounds to me like Peyton Leitner and Morgan Geyser had become friends when they were five, six years old. They were old. really young. They, I mean, at this point, I think they were 12 years old, but more or less considered themselves to be lifelong best friends. Right. And from what I could see in the documentaries that I watched, um, I, I took a, a look. I became really interested in the Slenderman case when I started watching Beware of the Slenderman, the HBO documentary. And then I did a little more research um, in watching the 2020 special that had a little more information, a little more precision in the way that they approached it. Um, but it both, you know, shared a lot of the same information. I, this case is fairly simple, in my opinion. I mean, there's no doubt what happened. There's no doubt who did it. It's really just the interest of finding out why. And I think we even know why they did it, but there's still for me so much to talk about in the why, because, um, you know, this is well documented. There's a lot of video footage of them being interrogated and just the reactions of the girls and the things that they said and the way that they said them, their demeanors, as they conveyed this message, um, of what they actually did and their intent, it, it was, they were delivering this message. It was so flat. 
you know, they were just, as a matter of fact, you know, like they were explaining something happening to someone else, not themselves, which was really interesting. And I completely understand and appreciate that these are 12 year old girls, very impressionable. Um, but I think it's, interesting to look at those interrogations if you are are interested in that kind of thing because there's definitely a difference in the ter- interrogations of Anissa Weir and Morgan Geyser and how they convey that message. There are a lot of similarities, similarities as well but the differences are what I find interesting and I feel like that gives me a little more insight into the motivations of both of these girls. So talking about the event itself it, like you said it, it's really straightforward. There's nothing up for debate both girls and Peyton and the authorities all share the same story. Everyone's on the same page. So I think really what we're ultimately going to get to is a conversation about the motivations and the aftermath. But before we do that, we're going to run you through a little bit of the actual details of the case. So on uh, May 30th, 2014, uh, Peyton was invited to a sleepover at Morgan's house. It was to celebrate Morgan's birthday. And Peyton, Anissa, and Morgan went to Skateland. Which sounds so fun. And by the way, I have a note here. Skateland in 2014, question mark. Because is that actually a thing in 2014? I love skating, but I thought that it was all gone after rollerblading. So, uh, I mean, definitely in 2014. I don't know if it's still there. I spent many a Friday night at Skateland. (laughs) And, uh... Many uh, not good memories. I'll be honest. What? Well, okay. It's Skateland. Picture me on skates. Okay. Well, you are a little clumsy. Now picture me on skates in middle school with middle school kids. Did you have braces? Uh, not at the time. No. Okay. Well, okay. At least you have that going for you. But were you? Before braces or after? It was before braces. Oh, good Lord. So you needed braces. So yes. all of this working against you. Oh. Well, yeah. So. The uh, Shermanator on skates. <laughs> it brings back some tough memories. I'm not going to lie. I have tough memories of skating too, but only because I would just stand around the corner and wait for somebody to ask me to skate. Oh. Nobody ever did. Oh. It was awful. I would like dance with my girlfriends. It was terrible. I mean, it was kind of pathetic. And then we would have sock hops at the skating rink, which was really cool. So sock hops? You, well, yeah, sock hops. It was um, essentially what they did. It was fan freaking tastic when you're a teenage girl because you get locked into this place all night and they don't let you out until the morning with a bunch of boys that you're, you know, of course. Danny Zuko, who has sock hops? I, it, it was great. I don't know why that they insist. Well, you know why? Because they didn't want people wearing shoes on the floor, but you didn't skate. You actually took off your shoes and just had socks on and danced on the... Okay, that the- actually does sound kind of fun. Yeah. It, well, it was because they locked you in. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean... I remember going to some lock-ins. Those were fun. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. What a great, like, oh... I know. So, uh, okay, so Skateland. Sorry, we digress. Yes. We're going to try to move this along because we know <laughs> that some of our episodes um, sometimes bleed into two episodes. This case, I we're hoping... I don't think there's enough information to talk about, but again... All week, Brittany and I have been looking at this, um, thinking about this case and talking about this case and in passing. And every time we start to talk about it a little, we're like, no, 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 no. Let's hold off because we really want to record this because I I do have a lot of opinions about this. I do, too. So, all right, we'll get back to it. So they went to Skateland to celebrate Morgan's birthday, uh, went home. The original plan was for Morgan and Anissa to wake up at 2 a.m. and stab Peyton to death in the basement of Morgan's home. 
But both girls overslept, and when they did wake up, they decided that they didn't want to do it then because they didn't want to make a mess in the family home, and they thought that Peyton would probably scream and wake up the parents. So they decided to put off the attack, at least temporarily. That's crazy. It's super crazy. It's so calculated for 12-year-old girls, and I get it that their motivation was... Um, this fantasy that they had, but you know, I, I'm not sure I thought any plan through that thoroughly when I was 12. No, you're, you're right. But they become very conflicted. So they, they sleep through the night and I'll jump backwards a little bit later about some of the motivations on how they get there, but want to just focus on the uh, events as they happen right now. So they get through the night, wake up on the morning of May 31st have breakfast, uh, fun sleepover for the three girls. And Morgan asks permission from her mom if the three girls can go play at the park down the street. So this is a park that is, it, it has a playground, but it's also next to a wooded area. And as I, I think I mentioned at the beginning, there's a lot of that in Waukesha County, city of Waukesha particularly. So it's not uncommon at all. It's a lot of fun for kids to go in the woods to play creepy games with each other and play like light uh, flashlight tag and at night. So this is super common. The girls go to the park and on their way out, Morgan sneakily grabs a kitchen knife and puts it in her pants. So this is the morning of the 31st of May. And so um, I will note because I, you know, I'm sure in 2014, things are a little more locked down than when I was young. And um, I wondered, you know, is it normal for these kids to go to the park? You know, how close is it? And from what I understand from an interview with Morgan Geyser's mother, she said that normally Morgan actually would not be allowed to go to the park by herself. And the only reason that she let them go was because they were together. Which I, think I thought that's was right. interesting. Yes. So, uh, you know, in the interviews that Morgan's with Morgan's mom, she also says that she had no indication. The kids, the girls were at her house the night before. Everything was normal, even though they apparently were planning on killing their friend in the basement and holding off on that. And then, you know, even the next morning, she said things were absolutely as they were. Um, nothing, no cause for alarm. She didn't have any indication that they were planning this. So it just sort of speaks to what what's normal. And, um, you know, how do you make an assessment, you know, so close to that event? So the girls get to the park and they play on the playground for a little while. And then... Anissa and Morgan start to flesh out exactly what they're going to do. So at this point, Morgan has the knife and she's starting to get cold feet. She doesn't want to do it. So she says to Anissa, I can't do it. And Anissa says, we have to do it. So Anissa takes the knife and talks Peyton into going to into the public bathroom. Because if she, Peyton is obviously going to bleed the blood will drain down into the sewers and not leave much evidence. So the three girls go into the bathroom and Peyton is cornered in the side of the bathroom. And she, this is the first time she started to wonder, this seems a little weird. I don't know what's going on here. Morgan and Anissa try to convince Peyton to lay down on the ground. She doesn't, which is great for so many reasons because Mm -hmm. the grounds of public park bathrooms are disgusting. Yeah, it's kind of like a porta potty. <laughs> yeah, more or less. So 
Anissa then grabs Peyton and hits her head against the wall to try and knock her unconscious. Yep. At this point... This is a concrete bathroom, by the way. Oh, yeah. So yes. just so everybody's clear, it's usually like, you know, concrete block, you right. know, with a sort some sort of open... You know, they're they're not fancy and likely they aren't completely enclosed either. Yeah, the door's probably, it's a doorway. It's probably not a door. Right. But at this point, if you're Peyton, how do you continue to go along with this? She has her head hit against the wall. She doesn't fall unconscious. And so now she's getting more concerned. But instead of saying, I want to go, she continues to play with the girls after they leave the bathroom. I'm not surprised because she, you know, if everybody's accurate in their assessment that nobody could have, nobody saw any, saw any of this coming. Peyton, you know, was probably feeling a little peer pressure and, um, you know, she and Morgan were best friends. Anissa was the new, you know, friend to this group. And I'm sure there was some, you know, maybe... I'd say a little bit of jealousy or maybe, you know, it, it's true that three's, you know, two's company, three's a crowd. That's true. And it's obviously well known after this, this happened that Anissa and Morgan had been spending a lot of time together because they would have been plotting this actually for six months. So this was an ongoing plan that they had. It wasn't, uh, you know, it didn't happen overnight. They thought about it and they thought about it a lot. So if that mean, that's the case, then they didn't share any of that with Peyton, but she was supposed to be Morgan's best friend. So that's really hard to imagine how she would keep something like that from her best friend. So let's unravel that for a second, because you hit on something amazingly accurate. Two's company, three's a crowd, despite what the show will tell us. Yeah. Anissa... Anissa <laughs> uh, was new to Waukesha and new to the school, so this was the end of her first full year. Now, I'm making some judgments here, but Anissa to me comes across as an awkward kind of girl, not one that fits in with the popular crowd. She's new, she probably didn't have a lot of friends, and she clung to Morgan early on. As you said, it was about six months they had been... Be, had been friends and hanging out. And Anissa is actually the one that introduced Morgan to Slenderman. Right. Because Anissa was a follower of Slenderman before she moved. And she talked to Morgan about how this is true. It's a lore. He's real. It's a, if we don't follow him, bad things are going to happen to us and our friends and family. And Morgan fell so deeply into that belief that she actually claimed that she remembered seeing Slenderman when she was five years old. And now completely became on board with Anissa and the belief that they had to take action for them to become safe. Additionally to that, they believed that once they took that action and Peyton was dead, they would become proxies for Slenderman and be able to live in his castle in Nicolay, uh, is it State Park or National Park? National Park. Na Nicolay National Park <coughs> in Wisconsin. So... I and they both believe this. They both believe this. So let's put a pin in this moment right here, because this is something I'm going to bring up later. Okay. Because I I know that this the entire defense is based on the fact that these girls believed in the Slenderman character, or they say they did, and that, um, you know, this was driving them. They didn't have a choice. They were saving their family, um, because there are some things that are said in the interrogations that 
lead me to believe otherwise, or at least question the black and white of if they really believed it or not. So pin in that, keep going. Okay. I also got the impression that even though Peyton and Morgan were best friends, I kind of felt that maybe Morgan was slipping off to the sides and Peyton was kind of maybe merging in a little bit more with the popular crowd and starting to develop new friends as you usually do when you move from elementary into middle school. Yeah. And I got the uh, opinion that, or the impression, I guess I should say, that Morgan was becoming more of a loner herself. And that's why she and Anissa gravitated towards each other because they saw each other as two loners, independent, weren't with the cool kids while Peyton was gradually moving towards the cool kids. And that's why they really found a bond with each other. Do you think that's why they found the need to, was this, I mean, the sad part about it, you know, is that we had a victim in this case, Peyton Lautner, Leitner, 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 uh, who, you know, didn't do didn't do anything wrong certainly didn't do anything to deserve this and um you know it, it it's just so strange that they would happenstance to choose the person that they were close to i'm i'm just surprised that they wouldn't choose someone to murder who they didn't know i i question that exact same thing also uh, but i actually took it as they felt like they had to make a sacrifice and you needed to sacrifice someone that was important to you to pledge your allegiance do so you Man. think that they were really, they she was really important to them? I think that Peyton was still important to Morgan. Okay, fair enough. I think that they were drifting apart, but they were still hanging on to that friendship that they've had from what they considered their entire life. Sure, got it. And that does happen. That's a natural progression when you go from, you know, elementary school to junior high to high school and schools merge and you lose contact. And, um, you know, it happened to me. It happens to most people. So I'm not surprised. But this is one of those pivotal moments, um, especially for someone who may have um, some mental issues to deal with. You know, it's it is a traumatic event when you change schools and when you, you know, your friends come and go for someone who may not be, um, you know, of sound mind, this is something that could cause, you know, a break. So all of these things I think were culminating. Plus you've got 12 year old girls who, you know, their hormones Mm -hmm. are kicking in, you know, things aren't there. No teenage girl thinks straight and to have this kind of thing, um, be brought into the conversation and to be thinking about this and to get obsessed with it as you would, typically, you know, with, uh, you know, someone of the opposite sex or, or not, you know, even, um, but usually you've got a lot of things happening in your body and your mind that you don't understand and why they're happening. All right. We're going to jump back to the events of May 31st. So after the girls leave the bathroom, they decide that they are going to play hide and seek in the woods. And like I said, the woods are like the best place to do that. It's Mm -hmm. so much fun. So Peyton (laughs) going along with it thinking everything's okay, even though she just had her head hit against the wall of the bathroom, decides to go along with playing hide-and-seek. So the girls get together. They say that they're going to... Uh, I think Anissa was supposed to be the one to like count, and the other girls were going to hide. And as they're walking up there, Anissa tells Morgan, I tried to knock her out. I couldn't do it. I can't stab her now. Remember, Anissa has the knife. It was transferred from Morgan to Anissa, Anissa pretty much is saying, I can't do it while she's conscious. So we failed. We got to move on. And Morgan says, well, give me the knife. I'll do it. But you have to be the one to tell me when to go. So 
They transfer the knife again. They ask Peyton to lie on the ground again. She won't do it. So Anissa pretends like she's going off to count so the other girls can go hide. And she then screams when she's about five feet away, do it now, go ballistic. And Morgan tackles Peyton and stabs her 19 times. Hmm. Wow. And so Morgan's sitting on top of her doing this? Yes. She is straddling her around her legs. Wow. So it sounds like we've got 19 wounds. Uh, two wounds missed major organs. One missed her heart by less than a millimeter. And another went through her diaphragm, diaphragm cutting into her liver and her stomach. So that was why she was having issues breathing. And Peyton would say that she didn't even feel the pain when this was happening. She was in sh such shock as to what was happening. Sure. It didn't even hurt. She was just so, so, so surprised that her best friend was doing this to her and her body went into its own form of protection. After Morgan finished and Peyton was still conscious, Anissa told Peyton, don't move and lay flat. Because you will bleed less that way. The girl, the two girls uh, then take off and leave the park. Well, important thing to remember. Yeah. They told Peyton that they were going for help. Oh, that's right. I forgot about they that part. that they were going for help. So, and, and I'm not sure why they would tell her that other than to keep her there so she wouldn't get help for herself. And because they're really, the intention was to kill her. Yes. The, this wasn't, the intention was not to hurt her. No, the intention no, no. was to kill her, yep. to take her life. So the girls uh, leave the park with no intention to get help. And Peyton, in an incredibly brave act, says, screw this. They just tried to kill me. I don't think they're going to get help. Gets up and stumbles to a roadway uh, at the edge of the park where a bicyclist pulls over and sees her uh, and then immediately calls for help. Hmm. Which is surprising to the police, of course, because I think that even though weird things seem to happen in Wisconsin, whenever someone calls, you know, 911, everybody's surprised. How could it happen in uh, in Wisconsin or Wickersha? Wickersha? Wickersha. Wickersha. Even, even Peyton said that, you know, hey, I thought it was fine going to the park. I thought nothing would happen. What's going to happen in Wickersha? It's the, it's the classic small town false sense of security because nothing bad ever happens here. And Waukesha's not your classic small town that you usually hear these stories about. It's a decent size, but it's in an, it, this was in an area where these things don't happen. And it's still not an area that has a high violent crime rate by any means. So I, I get it, but it's also very much, I kind of feel like when I hear stories of, people be breaking into homes and violating families. A, a big reason that happens is because the front door was left unlocked or the windows yeah. are left open. So while there's no justification for that, it's providing an opening because there's this false sense of security. And oh, yeah. I, I think that's kind of what happened here. Plus the fact of they're 12 year old girls. So aren't thinking about the bad things that could possibly happen. I don't know if they ever were. That's what's, um, you know, the interesting part of the case as we'll see a little bit later in the trial and the way that the defense is going to, um, you know, uh, their angle on this case. Um, because a lot of it is, you know, conveying to, you know, the judge that 
you know, were these girls because they were 12 year old responsible for their actions, um, which we'll talk about a little bit later. So the girls run off, no intention of coming back. They leave their bleeding friend laying on the ground. They don't think that she's going to get up. They think she's probably going to lay there and die. They are picked up, what, five hours later walking down the highway. I don't even, it might've been, uh, but it wasn't that far. It was, they were picked up along I-94 only, I think it was like a mile and a half or so from the crime scene because they originally planned to go back to Morgan's house to collect their goods, throw it in a backpack and then walk up to Nicolay's national park, which is 200 miles away. Right. So it's not a, a quick little jaunt. Right. These girls clearly had no idea how far it was. So even though it was five hours, they weren't very far from where it happened. Got it. Wow. That's crazy. Well, I mean, you have to, if you're planning to walk 200 miles, I mean, that would take days and days and days and days. Yeah. So. I don't, I don't think they had any idea that it was actually 200 miles. Wow. And by the way, I don't, going through 94 isn't going to get you to Nicolay. Well, also, where is the end game for them? Because there is no mansion. So whatever they're walking to, they're not even going to find anyway. They could walk all the way through this national park. It wouldn't matter. Exactly. But to them, their end game was to get to this mansion to live with Slenderman. They didn't know because they were so steadfast in their belief that this is real. Right. Exactly. So the girls get picked up. They get brought into the station. They both have blood on them. Um, n- not as much as I would have thought. And my guess is a lot of this is because even when the bicyclist finds um, Peyton and the the nine one one operator asks, you know, is there blood on her? And they the guy answers, sort of, you know, like, well, there's blood on her clothes. It didn't sound to me like uh, um, Morgan had really stabbed her. I'm sure she stabbed her. with nineteen stabs. I'm sure some of them were deeper than others. But, um, you know, it didn't sound like she was bleeding profusely. She wasn't covered. Yeah, that's exactly how I took it. And one of the detectives who met the ambulance at the hospital essentially reported it as it was a girl who clearly was in a lot of pain, but was alert and in better condition than she expected. Peyton immediately went into emergency surgery, and the most dangerous stab wound was a millimeter from a key artery that had that been nicked would have caused her to have a heart attack. So she was very fortunate, but she survived. And uh, while she was in surgery, of course, the girls were picked up and the formal investigation began. So you will probably find, and I suggest you take a look at it. There's a lot of video. Um, they interviewed or interrogated these two girls, as is legal in Wisconsin. Um, if you're, I think, over the age of 10. You're, Something like that. Yeah, you're allowed to interview children without their parents um, in the room. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's crazy. It is crazy. And that makes me rethink about the whole Brendan Dassey situation. Yeah. Did that happen in Wisconsin? Oh, Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was another, that's another one from Wisconsin. That was from Manitowoc. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Famous uh, Wisconsin. Yeah, so I didn't realize that that was legal. I don't understand how that's legal. Well, that was one of the, well, the Brandon Dazzy case, I think that was one of their appeals. They based their appeal on him being interviewed without his parents. So exactly. If that law would have been effective then or there you wouldn't have had that appeal even occurring. Well, so it must have been a little different. Some Maybe that was a while back. Yeah, may, I mean, yeah, maybe. I mean, that was like 2005, or maybe the reason his appeal was unsuccessful was because of that. But regardless, that's a case for a different day. Yep. So I, um, 
I spent a bit of time watching the interrogations. I thought they were really interesting. And um, from the point of view, uh, the psychological point of view, I think whenever you're um, looking at child development and the way that the brain works and what you can expect from a 12-year-old um, varies greatly. I did note a couple of things that I thought were really interesting that were said um, that I'm going to read to you. And I saw, again, these are the interrogations. They actually, you know, shot video of these. So it's clear that the girls are speaking. The words are coming out of their mouth. And um, they're also, you, you can see how they're conveying this message. Uh, the first one I'm going to read is something that I thought really was very interesting. Um, and these are from, this is from Morgan. Uh, the police officer asked Morgan, did you feel bad that you stabbed one of your best friends? And Morgan's response um, was, and, and just to be clear, these two girls and the way that they communicated this information to me was very strange. And there were times when they were upset about what they were saying, but they weren't upset about, well, let me rephrase that. They were upset about things that were may have happened around the the case or the crime, but not the crime itself. You know, she Ganisa was upset that her parents were scared. Yeah, know, but nobody was scared or nobody was worried about this girl. Um, so when Morgan was asked that question, did you feel bad that you stabbed one of your best friends? Her answer was, I thought about it, but then I thought remorse would get me nowhere. It's easier to live without regrets. Now, if, yeah. if you don't know that these girls have some mental issues, this is when you start really, really hating these girls. Yeah. It almost seems like they're evil, you know, and of course we realize later that they've got some mental defects and that's part of their defense. But when you watch a 12 year old girl say something like that and it comes out of her mouth, obviously something's wrong, but there's still a shock to hearing it and seeing someone deliver that kind of message. Um, she really did not care. Watching Morgan, I really felt, and I didn't watch, I, I watched the interrogations before I knew about what happened at the end of the trial and their sentencing. So watching Morgan, I felt like I was watching Evil Incarnate. This is Damien. This is someone who has no remorse and Really, there's no hope for it. it. was scary watching her. Yeah, definitely. And that's what really affected me the most. And there are moments in some of the interviews with um, Morgan's mother where she tells a story of taking Morgan to the movies. Um, and this is when she oh, yes. first realized that Morgan didn't have the ability to have remorse. Um, they took her to see Bambi. And when the mom dies, you know, sorry to blow it for anybody if you guys have. <laughs> See Bambi, but it's been like um, seventy years. Spoiler alert: the mother dies. Uh, she 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 felt nothing. You know, she told her mom, "Get out of there! Why is he still standing there? He should be running." You know, so that was just you know again the mom's first indication that there was something not quite right about with her ability to be able to um, emote, you know, and have empathy as a normal child. And this was when she was probably five, probably so. And I think there was really a dichotomy between the two interrogations of Morgan and Anissa. Morgan came across. Uh, well, she was cold. I think she came across as still emotive and at one point getting very angry and frustrated because the detective kept asking her the same questions over and over and her response became, I already told you, what else do you want me to say? And he said, I need you to make sure, or I need to make sure that I'm getting all the information right. Well, nothing has changed. I already told you. And she also started to pin, uh, 
pin some of the blame onto Anissa. Right. And essentially say that this was Anissa's idea. Had Anissa not been around, she probably wouldn't have done this. Now, in the other interrogation room, Anissa showed no emotion. She right. was totally flat. She showed emotion once when her they when she said, you know, how are my parents? And then she was she was worried about them. Yes. And she then said, what, are they scared? Yes. And then she started to cry. Uh, you know. Yes. It, it, Anissa was the toughest one for me. Um, but I'm going to read a cu- one more from Morgan. Okay, go for it. I thought and then I've it, got one from Anissa. I thought it was really kooky. So Morgan again then asked the police officer. Is she dead? And she's referring to Peyton, which right. they also called Bella. Uh, the police officer's response was, I don't know. She was taken to the hospital. And then Morgan, it, I watched this interrogation. It's mm-hmm. the most fascinating piece of, it's a flash. It's not that many frames. But when he says, I don't know, she was taken to the hospital. Morgan is leaning her chin and she's kind of sitting backwards on a chair. Uh-huh. And when he responds and says that, she almost does a double take. Like, she kind of goes, well, what? You know? Really? And she, I didn't catch that. Yeah, you have to take a look at it. Oh, I'm going she to. She responds surprised. She's like, huh? Yeah. What? And then she says, huh, I was just wondering. Yep. And it's kind of like she said, I was just wondering. It's so weird. I have a niece who's seven or eight and highly intelligent. And sometimes... I can't grasp why she says things, but she says things that are very adult that I'm like, wow, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. Not comparing my niece to this oh, at all. No. But, um, it's shocking to hear a person who at a young age respond in a way like this and then dismiss her own reaction. Like she's trying to cover up or trying to, you know, never mind. I wasn't really serious or, yeah. you know, I was just wondering. Yep. It's so, you know, Again, when you realize that she's got some real mental issues, it it doesn't dismiss this the impression that you get that she's calculated in a way that is shocking. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you mean when you're like evil incarnate, yes. right? Because you've got a person who appears to have a very good they feel they appear lucid, bored almost, mm-hmm. doesn't appear like she's taking this seriously at all. And then getting frustrated with the interrogators because of the police officers, like they're bothering her, like they're wasting her time. It's so strange. And in the interview with Morgan's mother, she says herself, that's not my daughter. She doesn't talk like that. Right. And and even that was really strange. Um, So, you know, take a look at the video. It's a split second that it happens, but she's sitting there. She hears his response. She like looks over at him startled and she's like, okay, I was just wondering, um, almost like trying to kind of throw him off the, off the trail of, of her, her response because you can clearly see it in the video, but it's quick. Okay. I'll have to, I'll have to rewatch that. Take a look at it. So then in the other room where Anissa is being interrogated, uh, at one point she says to the detective, can I ask you a question? And the detective had said, and it's really quite obvious on her face, the question she's expecting to hear, which is, is Peyton okay? Is Peyton alive? Did she die? Instead, Anissa says, how far did I walk? Because I'm not very athletic. So I'm just wondering. <laughs> the detective is totally taken out of the moment. Like, <laughs> Why do you care about this? 
And and she told well, her it just shows you what she doesn't care about. Yeah. I think that's the reality of it. And that's I think the downfall of Anissa because and I don't know what her diagnosis was, you know. They were claiming that, that both of these folks, you know, had some issues, but um <clears throat> you know, I think it to me it felt more like Morgan had some more severe issues than Anissa did. Yeah, definitely. We'll talk about their diagnosis diagnoses shortly. Uh the one thing that I found to be the most striking difference between Morgan and Anissa is that Anissa was willing to accept full responsibility. She would say, yes, I did this. I am guilty of doing it. I have no problem saying it. Yeah, Morgan did it too, but it was me. And Morgan was trying to shift a lot of blame off of her. And she was very defensive. And trying to pin mm. more of it onto Anissa. <clears throat> well, I mean, in some ways Morgan's right because none of it would have happened if it wasn't for Anissa. But at the end of the day, I think everyone agrees that Morgan actually stabbed her. So there's no way around it. I do find it really strange that to me when they say Anissa says, you know, go crazy, go ballistic or go berserk or whatever she said that sounds like something someone would say out of frustration like just get it over already like i'm tired of this you know i don't want to do it just do it over it like let's go you know that's what i felt like that that really meant and not that she was like ordering her to do something it was just like just freaking do just it just get it over with just do I'm it. tired of waiting around yeah we've been planning this for six months uh-huh. let's just go yeah i have one more thing that yeah, yeah. i want to mention that anisa says and I, this is where I get a little caught up in motivation um, and the the angle that they were driven by this fantasy of Slenderman. Obviously, everyone who's looking at this case thinks that these both of these girls really believe that the Slenderman character was going to hurt them. And that's why they decided to hurt Peyton. But one of the things that Anissa said that threw me off in, in this, when speaking about Slenderman, um, you know, the police officer asked her, you know, what is Slenderman? Who is Slenderman? And Anissa's response was, there's this website, Creepypasta Wiki. It's full of like horror stories that are meant to purposely scare you. So she knew. Yeah. So this is where you like kind of, I'm like, hmm, well, if you're describing what Slenderman is and you're saying to the police officer that the basis of this website and this information is to actually purposefully scare you. I feel like been saying that she had some understanding that it wasn't real. I would agree. Uh, it, okay. So we're going to quickly, I'm, I'm going to quickly gloss over what ultimately happened next. So the girls are uh, sentenced to, or excuse me, not sentenced, are placed into uh, a hold, a prison hold for almost two and a half years and Morgan's mom would describe it as almost solitary confinement. They were allowed to have visitors, but they only had one hour of outside daylight time a week. Hmm. So the girls really were in pretty terrible circumstances and quarters while they were waiting to go to court. Mm-hmm. So they finally went to court in uh, early 2017, or was it early 17 or late 16? They were in jail or in holding for three years, so yeah. that would have been 17. Okay, so they go to court. Uh, Anissa was the first one to go, and she outright openly said, 
guilty. She admitted her guilt and pleaded guilty right away. Now, most of the time, that's an open and shut case, and it goes immediately to the sentencing portion of it. <clears throat> now, there's something in between here that happens. Okay, go for it. There's a decision to try these two girls as adults. Oh, yes, that's key. This is really important. And this was the most devastating blow to the defense when the judge said, no, we're going to try them as adults. And I have to say, I agree with his decision because the thought of these girls spending, if this was 2017, that would have made them 16, 17, 13, 15, 15. 15. Yeah. So that means in three years when they were 18, they would have gotten out. So if yeah. they were treated as juveniles now, and the parents of course were adamant that this is the right thing to do. And you know, there were children and you shouldn't hold them accountable for their actions. And this is where I slightly, slightly agree. And I see the point of view of Peyton's parents. And I think that this is probably the most important part and why the judge said, number one, that they were going to be tried as adults because certainly that he didn't want them out at 18 years of age, because I don't think that he thought that they were ready for that. I don't think that they would be much better by 18 and most important. And I think this is where I really appeal to the, the victim side of this case is would Taylor have been safe? If those two got out when they were 18, would Taylor have been safe? I don't think so. This gets into, or if I was Taylor, I'd say I'm not going to be safe. Yeah. Oh, certainly. I think I, I would believe that uh, no, Taylor Peyton, Peyton, sorry. Peyton. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I kept doing that too. I kept on, I don't know why I kept on thinking it was Taylor. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I, I would believe that Peyton would not feel that she would be safe. I want to have an honest conversation about mental health once we finish getting through the details. Okay. So they are uh, tried in adult court. Anissa pleads guilty. Instead of going immediately to the sentencing phase, the court orders her to be evaluated by two psychologists, and then she has her own psychologist evaluate her. And the findings of all three psychologists is that Anissa suffers from a very rare condition. I'm probably going to butcher this, but I pride myself on getting medical terms right. <laughs> you do. Schizotopy. Schizotopy. I don't know how it is. Schizotopy. Schizotypy? Uh, yeah. All right. Or, or showing schizotypal. I know that's pronounced right. All right. Schizotypal behavior. All right. Friends, fans out there, look it up. Yeah, it's a good figure word. out how to pronounce it's it. It's a for good me. Scrabble word for you. <laughs> uh -huh. But essentially, what that it, it's a it's a theoretical diagnosis, and it's a spectrum that essentially has all sorts of things that kind of feed into it that can lead to that diagnosis. And one of the things is a delusion, and it was very clear to the psychologist that, despite what we just talked about, Anissa was delusional and believed Slenderman to be true and the threats that she concocted in her head to be true. Also, one of the things that are uh, on this schizotypal uh, spectrum is almost a, like a transference of a mental health condition from one person to the other while you're spending so much time with them. What? Yes, I know. I had never heard That's of that. That's crazy. It you is. You mean you can 
catch a mental condition? That's what the argument, and that's kind of what I understand this diagnosis to be. Boy, this really changes uh, where I'm, you know, my future employment. I'll be a lot more careful. (laughs) (laughs) Holy cow. We're at risk. (laughs) So ultimately, she is found not guilty by uh, mental defect or mental disease or defect, as opposed to guilty of second degree murder, as she originally pleaded guilty to. And considering... Second degree attempted murder. I'm sorry. uh, Yes. And considering that she was not the one to carry out the act, the maximum sentence that she could be could be handed down to her was 25 years in treatment in a psychological or psychiatric hospital. Now, Morgan becomes a little more complicated because Morgan has family lineage, particularly her father, and I'm not sure if it's before that, of schizophrenia. And schizophrenia can be uh, handed or passed down so much so that her mother said that they were never sure about having kids and they weren't ready for Morgan when she got pregnant. Schizophrenia typically presents itself in people in their upper 20s, early 30s. So later on in and life. And then goes on through the rest of their life. And then goes on through the rest of their life. To varying degrees. And schizophrenia is also something that is on a spectrum. Some people, uh, the most common, what you hear is that people will say that they hear voices and people telling them to do things. The example that Morgan's father used is he was cognitively aware that the things that he felt were happening weren't happening, but he couldn't do anything about it. Right. Like he would, he used the description of he would be driving and feel that a ghost was behind him in the car. Now, his cognitive brain knew there was no ghost and it wasn't a threat. But the disease still convinced him there's a ghost. So ultimately, the disease would win those battles between the cognitive brain and the diseased brain. So this is something that since I don't have schizophrenia, I have a really hard time, you know, understanding. Um, I understand how it works. But the feeling of it, it's hard for me to connect to. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've ever felt that sensation um, where, I mean, God, I don't know. I, I don't know if I've ever felt that sensation um, in my life. So it's hard for me to understand that. But I appreciate that there are things about the human brain that drives people to think certain things or works against itself, per se. And um, that's the piece of this that I thought was really... Um, I mean, I, I have to be honest. I think this case is really sad. It's sad for a lot of reasons. It's sad because you've got 12 year old girls who have some mental issues. A lot of people will say, Hey, you know, they shouldn't have been looking at the internet. It was the internet. It was the internet. I don't think so. Um, I think that there are things about the internet that definitely need to be monitored, especially with young children. But, um, I don't think the internet causes problem. The other thing that I think is interesting about this is that, um, and sad, really sad. When you watch the Beware of Slenderman documentary, the HBO documentary, which I thought was really great, um, 
as it as, in the way that it told the story. And even this, the filmmaker says, you know, this isn't a whodunit. This isn't about who did it or how or why. It's all black and white. It's about the psychology of this mm-hmm. and trying to understand how children develop and how to help these situations. And is there anything we can do to avoid it in the future? Um, but it really broke my heart when I was watching that documentary and I saw the reaction of Morgan's dad who is on camera and, you know, this poor guy tearing, if he's got schizophrenia himself, I'm sure this event in and of itself probably caused some kind of break for him. You know, it was probably hard. It was dramatic, dramatic, traumatic, um, you know, and immediately he started blaming himself when he was talking about this. Um, he was crying. It was so, so, so sad. His heart was broken. And this was the broken heart of a man who has his own mental issues. So that breaking heart is different than you and I that understands how to control this kind of thing. Um, and it was really, really sad. I, I, I felt for everybody involved, you know, I also felt for Anissa's parents, you know, the dad was trying so hard to keep it together. The mom was there. Um, you know, they have a son, they were trying to keep things normal, but they've got a 12 year old in juvenile detention or in juvenile jail for year over year over year. And these people have to just deal with it. They have to go see her. They talk to her on the phone. They have to make this somewhat normal. What do you do? You know, and they can't give up on her. You know, she's actually, or he's act. they are actually all she has. Yeah. So it was just really heartbreaking. Um, in a lot of ways, I, I especially again, felt really bad for the dad, uh, Morgan's dad, because I felt like he really took this burden upon himself when he communicated about it. He felt like that it was his fault. You know, they said that, Oh, it's a possibility. I don't know what the percentage is that this kind of thing could be carried down and, and, you know, in lineage. Um, but, uh, no matter what the percentage is, he I'm sure blamed himself. And when he talked about him, ha- himself having schizophrenia and his wife even says that he, um, you know, was high functioning. So she, didn't think that any, he was acting outwardly strange, but he himself says, I was seeing things all the time. I just got used to them. He was seeing hallucinations. That would be terrifying. You know, he imagine walking around with all of this disturbance and distraction in your eye line. Cause you're seeing like your peripheral point of your peripheral vision. You're probably seeing all kinds of crazy stuff. He just got used to it. Mm -hmm. But and that's why I think he felt the worst about the situation because I think he took it upon himself, um, the responsibility anyway, that this is something that he could have stopped and he could have kept this from happening to his daughter. And that was the biggest heartbreak was that he couldn't do anything about it. And he could have, he, he somehow participated in, um, this situation for her. It was really, really sad. It's a good documentary. So I would definitely take a look. So Morgan is officially diagnosed with schizophrenia. But not until she's been in jail or juvenile detention for almost three years. Because when she goes to trial, she immediately pleads for uh, not guilty by me- by reason of mental disease or defect. Because she now has a diagnosed condition of schizophrenia. Despite the fact that it doesn't come on until later in life, obviously it affected her tragically very early. And I think when you watch the the Slenderman documentary, or you can watch uh, the 2020 special, or you can look on YouTube, there are lots of videos of the trial. I think it's visibly tragic how you can view the 
the way the toll that her disease has taken on her in the time that she's been in jail. Oh yeah. She is she's she looks like a completely different person and she looks completely disheveled and all out of sorts. And Anissa is actually quite the opposite. She's very well put together and uh very cognizant, coherent of the uh, of her surroundings. Uh, Morgan was sentenced to 40 years in a state psychiatric hospital. In both of their sentencings, the girls both expressed great remorse for what they did. Morgan's mom, uh, still to this day, feels that Morgan is not a threat because she is adjusting very well and she's responding well to the medication. And both girls are eligible to petition for reevaluation in 2020. Wow. If they petition and they pass some sort of test, because I think the criteria is to get out early, all of their symptoms have to be gone. So the way that the, the for Morgan, the way it works is she sentenced a maximum of 40 years to life, an indeterminate sentence involving at least three years locked confinement, in addition to involuntary treatment in a state psychiatric institute until complete resolution of symptoms or until age 53. So think about this in a couple, I mean, she, most of the videos that I saw where she was a, a bit older and she was going through the trial and the sentencing, she definitely looked like this had taken its toll on her. You're right. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, not to mention just generally when you have mental issues and, and, and defects, it wears on you, you know, the struggle of trying to keep some kind of normal state is really hard for these folks. So it's a lot of work. I think that people who don't have those issues take it for granted. Um, and the struggle is real for them. I, I don't know. I mean, like I said, it would, time will tell for Morgan. I think that medication was probably really helpful for her. Um, and you know, I don't know what her understanding is of her crimes. It, in, in her sentencing, I think she apologized to, Peyton and her family. And she was really sad. She was crying. You know, she said, I'm so sorry. Um, but a lot of the other videos I saw with Morgan in the, in the trial. And of course this is who knows what kind of meditation, meditation, medication <laughs> she was on. Um, but she seemed very out of it. She seemed like she was almost like she was looking around the room in the courtroom. Like she was seeing things that the nobody else was. Uh, yes, I totally know exactly what you're talking about. She's like looking off into space she and kind of totally, like, mm. but I don't think she was medicated at that point. Really? Yeah. Because that would have seemed like they would have started that immediately. Well, but she wasn't diagnosed until it went to trial almost three years after she was originally arrested. She still looks like that. She still looks like that when she's but at, older. But at 15, she looks at like that yeah. three years after she's essentially been in jail before she was diagnosed. So it took him three years when she was in jail to diagnose her? I think so. I don't think that she was diagnosed until really the trial phase. That's crazy. What were they doing with her in there? Well, I think the belief was that she was just a criminal. Think. Look at the videos where she's young. Mm -hmm. She's 12 to whatever, tw yes. 14, walking around in the courtroom. And um, 
I think it's apparent that she's got some problems. She's, you know, definitely she's looking off again. You know, I mean, it's she's like doesn't in this haze. She's not lucid. And it's also if she was diagnosed earlier, she wasn't on still was not under the proper care. So whatever her the whatever the treatment was would have been the treatment based on the prison, not under the direct care of a doctor who treats this all the time. Oh, I thought that she went into a mental institution immediately and Anissa stayed in juvenile jail. No, both girls stayed in juvenile jail. Oh, jeez. Yeah, they were not, they were not moved to the state facility, the the hospital, until after they were sentenced. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Because Morgan's mom says that she goes in there, there's no, there's no window, she's in there by herself. And so her, the mom says, well, Thank goodness she doesn't actually mind because she's got friends in there. She Morgan, I don't know if we talked about this, but Morgan had a lot of sort of fantasy friends that she uh, talked about and that she said were with her. And so I think a lot of the time she spent in solitary confinement, she actually thought she had people in there with her. She probably did. And, and Morgan, I think, displayed that she was highly suggestible early on in life. Well, if you, if, I mean, and I agree with you, the thing is, is that that in and of itself is a great, makes a great case for how Anissa contributed to her problem. Because Anissa, if Anissa hadn't introduced her, this wouldn't have happened. It may have happened later, but it probably wouldn't have happened in this way, but it probably would have been something else. And Anissa even admits that if she never told Morgan about Slenderman, chances are this never would have happened. Yeah. And I think Anissa accepts that responsibility and guilt. This is me in my movie head going, wow. This is like a really interesting story because I could, if I was, if I was writing a screenplay about this, I would continue this as one, the Anissa gets out when she's 35. She starts writing to Morgan in, you know, her, her rehabilitative state. Morgan gets out at 53. Anissa has waited for her. They have been plotting all along to go and continue this, you know, try to try to kill Taylor or try to kill Peyton. But I could see them plot. I, so if I was, you know, so, you know, screenwriter, I'm writing now a script about how Anissa has gotten out when she's 35. She started writing to Morgan. They've been plotting all of these years until Morgan gets out when she's 53. And then together they go track down Peyton. And it's like this frigid fond of freaking Jennifer Jason Lee, like, you know, crazy horror movie where they go and they find her at her house, you know, when she's, she's gotta be 53 too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're all the same age. They're all the same age. Right. So they go track her down and, you know, and they're like, oh, we're going to finally get you, Peyton. And Peyton's like, God dang it. Why didn't anybody listen to me and put you guys away for life? You know, I, that's the kind of screenplay in my head that I think is entertaining. And of course, you know, it's so far fetched. But at the same time, if I was Peyton and I had gone through all this trauma and this had happened to me and I would, you know, there's uh-huh. a little teeny piece of me that's like, good Lord, when these people get out. Oh, yeah. 35 and 53. Where are they? Can they find me? I'm still scared. What the heck? Where am I going to be? So I'm going to, I'm going to raise your story a little bit because I didn't really didn't think about that. But in order to tie it in back to Slenderman, and if we're going to take these girls at their words uh, in their true belief of Slenderman, I think then that technically it never stops. They keep believing, even though they pretend like they don't. That's my point. That's exactly where I'm going. They're still consumed 
by the idea of Slender Man. Yes. So, well, he's got a captive audience, literally, because they are in freaking jail. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. detention and, you know, psychiatric. And people are still writing stories and articles about it. Well, these are the people, like, I mean, I could see Morgan in her head, like, a Slender Man's next to me, you know, yeah. myself for, like, 40 years, you know calculating and figuring this out with me, Anissa, you know, I'm in jail, Slenderman, 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 Slenderman. I mean, what are these girls thinking about? Okay, so let's say, of course, all hypothetical, we hope none of this happens, but we're writing a movie right now. This is a filmmaker's point of view, so we're we're talking about a screenplay. Yeah, we're talking, we're we're actively, lively, in the moment, writing our screenplay. (laughs) So, all right, so... It's going to be huge, by the way, folks. The the girls get out, (laughs) uh, they... Track down Peyton. Yeah. They succeed. They go through with it. And they murder Peyton. Yeah. And now, in my mind, they go into a forest-like situation. Think Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, I love that movie. I know. It's so good. And so... Oh, God. They ultimately go into... Like, they go down into the forest. I don't know, they go downstairs, or maybe they just go through the forest. And they find Slenderman's castle. And, so he, is seated, and yes. he is seated there yes. in, on a throne. <laughs> and he dubs them or knights them official proxies, what they've always wanted their entire life. So are you saying that their fantasy for them becomes real, and then they go off? Is this an alter- alternative universe, or alternate universe? So I think you could go one way or another. It could be an alternate universe, or it could be... I mean, if you want the biggest bang for your buck, the point of it is that you prove that Slenderman's real. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Slenderman's real. That's that's where I originally was going. Then you scare the bejesus out of people. Yeah, is to prove that he's real. The alternate is that this is all happening in their heads. Yeah. Well, I think it could be both. Because I think that's the same with Pan's Labyrinth, which is a fantastic movie. And people, if you haven't seen Please the go movie, watch it's it. beautiful. But um, that it, it's it's all about perception. Mm-hmm. Like for the girls, they could go off into their mansion and wouldn't you know Slenderman. But the reality of it is, is they just go off and just sit down in the wood and die. Yeah, you know, like I mean, there's not much differentiation between those two when you're talking about like this this lapse of reality, right? No, right. The contact, you know, it's just, um, God, I mean, and and we're not saying that this is a great story, but we're saying this is a great, it's a great story. It's not a great situation because there's an actual events and there are actual people tied to it. But if you were going to write a screenplay about something, this would be really interesting. There's a lot of avenues to cover. And once this is public, this is officially copyrighted by us. So if anyone else tries to make this story, we get the royalties. (laughs) I think there's a uh, fan. I, Eli Roth, where are you, buddy? You need to make this movie. Ooh, I would like to see it go to. Uh, oh, what's the name of what's the name of the company? They're doing the Blumhouse. Uh, yes, I would love to see this go to Blumhouse. <laughs> I, <knew it. laughs> oh, I would love that because they take more of a psychological uh, take on things, and Eli Roth is more just violence. All right. Well, that's all I have for this case. Um, you know, again, I'll do respect to the fam, all of the families, and I hope they can heal from this. You know, my take, my final take on this is again, I, um, I appreciate the mental issues and trying to get folks help and rehabilitation. And I'm glad that, um, 
at least Morgan is in a place that can help her. It sounds to me like Anise is still in jail, juvenile jail. Is that correct? No, no, no. Anise is in the hospital with her. Great. It, with her. Well, with no, no contact. Yeah, yeah. They're both in, yeah, they're both in the hospital. Yeah. Because I, I've always found it really strange that people seem to think that folks who have mental problems should be in jail. It doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. That's not the place where they get help. I mean, a great case for that. Charles Manson. And I know everybody hates Charles Manson, but if you think about Charles Manson and the way that he conveyed his message, while he was a lot more aggressive, he was still very confident in his communication. And he believed what he believed so strongly that nothing else mattered. And and that's honestly the way Morgan kind of reacted to this. She's a 12 year old girl, sweet, nice. Then you got crazy Charlie Manson over here. But at the end of the day, both had mental issues, both needed help. You know, and Charlie went to jail and never got that help. And I think that's probably one of the biggest problems we have in this country is the way that we approach, you know, rehabilitation in jail in general. You know, the always the conversation. Is it punishment or is it rehabilitation? Are you really just sticking someone in a hole and mm-hmm. just saying, bye, you're never coming out again. We don't want to hear from you. But if we're really talking about taking people and putting them in a situation where they can improve their lives and come out as, you know, productive citizens, that's a different approach altogether. You know, mental mental illnesses illnesses come in a variety of shades and colors and um, and extremities. Honestly, I mean, you know, like you said, it's a spectrum. Some people could have no issues, um, but it doesn't take much, or a traumatic event could really push them over the edge. So to finish this, I'm gonna go a little after school special, but I think it is still very important. If anyone is out there uh, listening and having issues. Whether it's uh, schizophrenic-like issues, whether you're dealing with anxiety or depression, please get help. It makes a difference. Medication is okay, and uh, it's it's a problem and a stigma that we have in this country, but I don't think it's one that we should because I think it affects more people than people realize, and uh, it's important that it's treated properly and that stigma is broken down. Absolutely. I 100% agree with Brittany. There's nothing wrong with reaching out and getting help. There's nothing wrong with talking to people if you think that they need help. There are ways to do it that's not intrusive. Be a human. Be nice to your people and ask them how they are. And maybe they'll tell you the truth and tell you that they need some help. And please help them. All right. I think that's where we are going to wrap it up for this episode of uh, The Slender Man Stabbings. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I got a little surprise that Sony doesn't even know about, but I uh, am going to say that for the first person that tweets us at Scarlet Podcast and uses the hashtag Slender, you are going to get a brand new Scarlet t-shirt. Ooh. I'm excited. That's awesome. Yes. We, again, you know, thanks to all of our folks out there who have really helped us and, you know, build our brand, you know, logos, music. Thanks to all of you guys out there. And, you know, we're hoping that you're going to like our, uh, our promotional material as much as we do. All right. Have a good one, Scarlettos. Thanks, guys. Have a great one. <laughs>